do it for the kids hurting. End of the day, we feel legit worthless. So keep working, apply pressure. That fire inside could never die. As I was just a rapper up in Michigan State. Uh, working in Quizno, serving Mr. Is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Sample Hour. I've been trying to make this podcast happen for a while now. It's not your fault. You all might be familiar with his all-around badassery. This man is a micro-entrepreneur. This man is a, I guess would just say entrepreneur as well, <laughs> and, and a college professor, uh, blogger, and an all-around badass, Mr. Andrew My Novelty Miller. How you doing, sir? All-around overrated, but I appreciate the kind words. I was trying to think, what did I say for the first intro I said for you? I was like, hey, what do you want me to say for your intro? And you wrote this funny, funny fucking intro. I'm trying to remember. What, maybe it's still in Skype. I'll uh, I'll pick it up. But uh, anyway. oh, did I, th- I actually sent you something. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was the first time I had you on. It was uh, almost two years ago. Let me see what this... Uh, my novelty. You know what I think is it are you under Andrew or under my novelty? Well it's funny while you're looking that up how uh I was thinking about this recently that you know everything that we're doing, you know, on Twitter, everything we send in text messages and Skype conversations, IMs, Instagram, Facebook, like everything, even the stuff that's supposed to be private, like a direct message or a private email, and, you know, at some point in the future it will just simply become part of, you know, historical data that people can access and look back on. Yeah. And so they'll be rummaging through, you know, looking at their grandma's selfies, uh, their grandpa's dick pics, like all this stuff is going to be, it's going to be in the Library of Congress digital archives. And then eventually, you know, the more data that's produced that we put out about ourselves, pictures and all this, you know, at some point, all this data is going to be able to be utilized to create a, a very, you know, 95% confident uh, simul- digital simulation that you can experience, like, literally you know, through your consciousness or hooked up to a computer um, and just experience what your grandpa's life was like or your great-grandpa's life was like and the way they interacted with friends. And, uh, you know, it's much more so than the way they do historical you know, when you're looking up grandparents or ancestors and stuff, you're finding, you know, I, I can find a Wikipedia entry of a few paragraphs on someone from like 500 years ago and maybe some writings, but there's just not a lot. And uh, versus, I mean, I don't know how many tweets I might, I might be in, but 3,000, I have no idea, which I don't think about it like that because when I send out a tweet, you know, I might think about it for a few seconds and I just, it's done. I stop thinking about it. Um, and then just imagine someone going, I wonder what great-great-grandpa was like. And they're yeah. looking at all these stupid-ass tweets. That, let, me you know, look at, let me read his tweets and listen to the podcast he's been on. That would be awesome. I found what you said. You said, here's some shit I wrote down. came out camping. I'm at the site where we uh, saw the big Texas meteorite explosion. Oh, that's sweet. Very nice. 
Hey, I'm going to go into the tent and see if that helps. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Live from his campsite, Andrew Miller. Okay, that's All probably right. better. This is what it says. It says, here's some shit I wrote down. Paper route at the age of six. Underground cereal and cinnamon toothpick store in sixth grade. Underground betting ring and shop class in eighth grade for the NFL playoffs and Final Four. Undergraduate in business administration with a master's degree in international trade and development. Traveled to four of seven continents. Lived and traveled extensively in Mexico. Owned an international trade business. Conducted or conducted grant-funded research on globalization, and now defending liberty in the basement of the Alamo. <laughs> and I adjunct, profess, and work on startups on the side. Wow, that sounds like a very interesting person. That's you. <laughs> That's you. February 4th, 2013, bud. Yeah, it's, it's weird to hear. Uh, I don't know if you ever look back at things you put out or, or listen to a pod, you know, one of your original podcasts. Yeah. And, I try not to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I I don't know why it's there. I don't know why there would be any reason to be like feel even sort of embarrassed. I, I don't know. Embarrassed may not be the right word, but just that weird feeling that I don't really want to hear myself at all. But I can't stop talking, so I don't know what's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree, but. Uh... Yeah, man. I mean, we've always talked about um, business. We've talked about uh, entrepreneurship and business quite a bit. Um, had multiple phone conversations on multiple different subjects. But, um, you know, a big reason why I wanted to have you on was uh, we hadn't talked in a while and we got on the phone and you're just about to go on sabbatical and you're like, yeah, I'm really focusing a lot of energy into this new business I have. Um, the wife and I just started doing this thing called Airbnb and I was like, Oh no, this was after I was on your podcast and I was like, Airbnb, what's that? And you said, Oh, it, it stands for air mattress, bed and breakfast. And, uh, do you want to qu real quick to kind of tell the story about where Airbnb came from? Yeah. It's something about, uh, I think it was three dudes in San Francisco that were sharing a, a an apartment and, they didn't have any cash one reason or another to make the, the rent. And so they decided, Hey, we've got an air mattress. Um, there's this big conference in town that I think it was overbooked. People were seeing hotels like two or three hours away from San Francisco. Uh, there's just like just no space at all. And, uh, so they put down the air mattress in the living room, put it up on, I think Craigslist or somewhere online. And, uh, I think it was like 20 bucks and they got a guy. And so, you know, that, snowballed real quick into this concept of letting out, you know, a room, uh, a bed, a couch, um, or even your whole place on Airbnb to other people, and uh, which is kind of part of the bigger picture sharing economy, uh, like Uber. Wired just had a big, a great cover story talking about uh, uh, sharing economy and how, like, part of the basis is finding a way to actually trust, you know, each other again or humans. As yeah. opposed to having, because as soon as I told somebody that we did Airbnb, like my parents, especially, um, the first reaction was, you're just going to let some stranger stay in your house, and how do you know they're not going to kill you, and all this shit. And it's like, well, most people aren't going to kill me, so I'm not really too worried about it. And the people who 
would be most likely to kill me are probably in a position of power in a government somewhere, and they're already killing people. So I'm not really that scared of just some random person who just needs a place for the night while they're visiting San Antonio. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. And um, one thing, too, I have never hosted. I mean, I definitely have having an Airbnb spot is definitely in the works for the future. I think, um, you know, it's it's like if you're going to do something, why not? compensate yourself for it i just had this guy uh big al on um and i remembered big al from like my network marketing days and he's like oh, yeah. just, he's like he's one of those pioneers of that industry and it's just filled with like sales knowledge but he was saying you know all this is is you know uh promoting stuff and getting comp compensated for it but like to kind of take the, like the concept from what he's saying um for those of you that aren't interested in network marketing at all, because personally, I'm really well, not. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I hope they're not. Yeah. But the concept, though, is great. And that concept is is that if you're going to do something, why not try to make money from everything you do? Like try to try to put yourself in a position to compensate yourself for everything you do, like whether it be comedy shows, like – you know, you, you you know, first, you know, we started doing this thing where we were just promoting comedy shows, right? Because we like these comics. And then we're like, well, why don't we get these comics here ourselves? Because we want to see them. They're not, they're not that famous in the grand scheme of things. They're not on TV. So why don't we do that? So, you know, Joe Rantan has been doing that in Toronto now for almost, almost two years. And That's I was awesome. just and I was just up there for like the live kill Tony, and it's like you know I helped Joe sell merch. I helped uh, I worked the door, and you know what I mean. It was like it was so cool because it was like you know shit, man. When I was sitting there listening to JRE, I wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be working a door in Toronto soon for <laughs> Red Band and Kill and Tony Hinchcliffe show. I never thought yeah. that 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 thought never crossed my mind. I never would have thought, oh here I am. And so, like, to, to, to stay on, like, this concept of, like, share sharing economy and stuff like that, like, you know, um, it's powerful, man. And, like, there was a – I just stayed I, – I got an Airbnb spot actually for the last Death Squad Ohio spot because I didn't want a bunch of strangers coming over to my house. So I was like, well, I'll get this house. And, like, and we actually stayed the rules. Like, and that's the thing, too, is, like, I really want to follow the rules when I use Airbnb – because I know that they're going to review me, and it's really going to affect me being able to use that service again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen. You know, at a hotel chain, there's no you can review them, but they can't review you. So if you're a shitty guest, uh, you're just going to continue being a shitty guest. But at a certain point on Airbnb, you're you're not going to be able to rent a spot anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's done. You know. And they uh and and uh the other interesting thing that I thought was that like when I was first trying to book that spot, they wanted a copy of my driver's license to make sure that I was actually me. Oh yeah, and a lot, and a lot of people that I talked to, which this is kind of interesting as well. Uh, it seems like the older the person is, the 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 more uh, that they don't they're not as interested in giving that information to them versus you know the younger person. The younger person, as it seems, whatever, give them the license, and 
whereas the irony comes in with the older person is the more likely they are to support, you know, NSA surveillance, which is total information awareness of everything you ever put out and everything you've ever done, essentially, uh, as a goal. And it's like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, I'm not worried about Airbnb having my information when the world's giant, the world's biggest mafia already has it all. Like, what, what am I supposed to be scared of? Like, what are they going to do to get me? <laughs> you know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> well, that too. So, uh, and this is another interesting thing, man, was the second spot I got. Um, the girlfriend came in town and I was oh, like, Oh shit. Yeah. I was like, so let's do something nice. So like we, like previously we'd gotten like hotels and obviously they were, they were shitty and it's weird to like, um, pay like a hundred bucks a night at a hotel. But if it's a dope ass apartment, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll pay a hundred bucks a night. Like, and, uh, so it, it was actually a little bit more than that. And, um, so I get this message from the person cause I booked it like over a month in advance and, uh, I get this message and she's saying, well, the homeowners association has specifically ruled out like Airbnb and, and all the similar services. And, um, so, uh, pretty much I, I took my housing off here. So I'm only going to do so many clients or so I'm only going to have like a couple more, but she was pretty much paying for her mortgage from her Airbnb. And, and it was interesting because it was the older people in that community. And it's not even, I mean, like this is right downtown. Like people cut through that neighborhood all the time. And, um, and it was like, it was the people in the old, the older people were like, Oh, we, we can't have this. It was like, so weird. It's just like, yeah, uh, it's like the struggle between like the millennials and the the baby boomers. Oh, it's big. I mean, you see you see that divide. I think on the you know gay issues and especially on marijuana issues, where in Florida, where they had to get sixty percent to pass the medical marijuana amendment. I think they got like fifty six, fifty seven percent. When you look at the the breakdown and the demographics. I think if you were under 35, they voted something like 75-ish percent in favor, whereas if you were over 65, I think only 35 percent in favor. And so this is a, I mean, that's an enormous gap and enormous gulf. The problem is that uh, those older people are the ones that actually run the current, you know, paradigm and system, not in a conspiratorial way. It's just they've been around longer. They've accumulated more whether it's wealth, influence, power, they actually care about voting. They think it makes a difference. They support the structures that, you know, ruin people's lives and dominate, and then only seek to dominate and control. And, uh, you know, that's that generation. So you can hear uh, people like Tom Brokaw, you know, the greatest generation, all this stuff, because they were forced by the government to go fight a dumbass, I mean, I'd say dumbass war. My grandpa was in Pearl Harbor when the Japanese bombed to So, you know, I, I know the direct uh, relation to getting into that war in the first place. And so the day my grandpa died, I mean, whether or not it's true, uh, you know, believe that FDR let that happen on purpose. And he never let that go. He, so, you know, whose positive war it was, and when you look at the historical data, I think Thaddeus Russell uh talks about this in his research that uh, the there was a, a huge percentage of people who weren't interested in signing up to go to war and that's where the drafts came in especially minorities weren't interested in uh, going to fight some 
some white person's war that they had no relation to. I mean, similar to the way like Muhammad Ali uh, addressed Vietnam, you know, so and not wanting to fight that war. And so then you institute an income tax, you institute a draft, you force people to go fight and kill people they don't even know. And it's a surreal nightmare. And I know both my grandpas were in the Navy and neither one of them were pumped up or excited that they had to go do that. That was not something they wanted to do. And I think that the broad uh, majority of people weren't interested in that. But hey, you get forced into it, your reality changes now, you know, when you come back. And now this is part of what what you expect, especially when you're 18 years old and how that influences uh, what you're looking at, especially back in the day with limited information. But uh, I don't know what the point is. The point is they came from this place and people consider that to be so great. Like I said, Tom Brooks, it's a greatest generation, but they're the ones supporting this system and the structure today that's uh, the antithesis, I think, to like... You have the spirit of liberty for a human individual, you know, and uh, it's all part of the domination paradigm. I don't know. I'm no, I, sorry, I completely Drew. agree, man. I think uh, it's interesting, too, when you think about the draft and then they got rid of the draft. And then it was like exclusively poor people going to war. It was exclusively like people who I don't have a way out of this awful situation I was born to into. And I'm just going to do this one, get out. Or like, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or it's, it's weird, man. Or you look at, um, somebody like, you know, Mick Guzman, who's, who's, I think he said it on a podcast before. And if he hasn't, you know, no, he has, he said it on his podcast, like his, his, his podcast when he brought it back, um, that like he wanted to, to, to fight because he wanted to be an, like he wanted to show that he was a good American. And that was, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of a weird thing. It was like that that sense of urge to want to be accepted. You know what I'm saying? And it's a, it's a weird thing, man. And, and, and about a great generation, like anybody that's seen the movie Fury, I mean, that was like some like awful shit that men had to do. And then they came back and fucking were like, you know what I mean? Like there was like generations of like, just fucking let's make babies and be awful parents and, and not even awful parents, but they just didn't, it's just weird to think about how people, how how kids used to be raised, and now it's like, okay, now we have data and research, we can all kind of come together and realize, oh, that's not, you know, beating your child is never an okay thing to do. Um, wow, dude, we just well, went all you, over the place, Andrew. And not just beating. I mean, how about just any kind of hitting? You know, the whole concept of you're going to dominate a human, and that's the way you think that uh, is going to work to present a respectable adult that's responsible, but you just taught them that if they don't like what someone else is doing, they need to go dominate them. And well, you know, are you surprised that the, that prohibition exists as a, a, a hugely powerful international uh, system? I mean, you've got like a, the UN drug narcotic official, you know, whatever the fuck he is, uh, condemning states in the U.S. Uh, legalizing marijuana because it goes against the international uh, treaties that have been signed and drug conventions, and it's like, uh, it, just go fuck yourself. You know, it just doesn't matter what these people say because it comes back to dominating that human being. Like, the human wants to, I mean, inherently owns their own body. They decide to put X, Y, or Z into it, and somebody else, for whatever reason, doesn't like it. 
I, I strongly think that uh, the reason they don't like it is because they know what happens to people when they have their boundaries dissolved through, you know, mind-altering psychedelic experiences. And uh, that doesn't usually make people want to go fight wars at all. I think that's that when they were experimenting with, like, LSD on military sol- soldiers, one of the things is they just didn't feel like doing any of the military things anymore. And the more people tend to integrate cannabis into their lives, the more peaceful uh, they seem to get, or at least the less likely they are to want to control and dominate those other people around them. And so I think that, you know, we're arguing for, like, medicinal purposes of, of cannabis, which is great, but the reality is that, you know, humans own their own bodies, and it's a, it's a human right to experiment with one's own consciousness. And so that's what actually is the battle to be fought. And that's really not being fought right now, which means this is going to be uh, uh, an issue that we're going to have to deal with for quite some time, I think. Because they know. They know. I mean, you put somebody, you take them, like someone like Amber Lyon, who goes down and has uh, ayahuasca experiences in Peru and revolutionizes her life. And uh, that's one of the more amazing uh, stories I've ever heard and seen. I mean, I watched that happen. I don't know if you remember watching her like the first time when she's on JRE uh, talking and compare that to how she talks now. And I, I highly recommend anyone to look up uh, her experiences and any of the various podcasts she's been on or I think she's at reset.me uh, is the website. Uh, you know, we're total boundary dissolution. So People are, I think, terrified, and maybe rightfully so, because the most terrifying thing I think a person can see is uh, themselves for the very first time. <laughs> yeah, to see themselves for what they really are. It's uh, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's terrifying, because most, I mean, I don't say most people, who knows how many people, but I, I always you know, put it to somebody in the sense of how many minutes a day do you just sit to reflect on what you've done, how you've interacted with the people around you and trying to consciously decide if that's something you want to continue doing or not doing. I don't think most people do that, you know, as a kind of meditative type practice. And well, would you be surprised if something like cannabis can help somebody do that? Yeah. But alcohol is not going to help anyone do it. The more power to them if they want to use it, but uh, that's just not the result. Yeah. Alcohol is what you want to do. If you you don't want to think about your actions and you just want to be a child, that's what I think alcohol is for, man. Like I I I don't remember a time when I was like, "Do you remember we were drunk and we decided that yeah, we were just going to quit smoking and eating fast food and yeah, we we decided we really wanted to turn ourselves around." No, I don't think I don't think I've ever I've ever heard anybody say that from alcohol. Now, if somebody was like, you know, partaking in cannabis use and, you know, they, they, they were sitting there and they, they got over, you know, the paranoia and they really just thought about things and thought about themselves and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, I've, I've, I've had some thoughts from, you know, cannabis use that's helped me sort a lot of things out in my life. You know what I mean? And it, it's a lot different. I mean, it can be used as a, as a, as a tool. I mean, and, and alcohol can be fun, man. I'm not trying to say that you should never drink alcohol, but it's it's definitely different. Or even like looking at myself and 
Man, I never thought, you know, eating those mushrooms and, and just reflecting on my life and dealing with things that I wasn't dealing with and, and all that. I never thought like, you know, two years later where I would be and how much, how much different I would be, how much happier I would be, um, how much more free I was. You know what I mean? And it, it's, it's, it really is, it's, it really is this weird battle that why don't, why don't we want to be free? Like, why don't we, like, why do other people want to hold other people back? Like, what what are they so threatened by? And it's, it's you know, it's it's the status quo. They don't they won't want to break the status quo. It's like this, it's a weird idea. Well, and you, you could argue, like, in a more kind of, you know, mystical or not even mystical, but just deeper uh, subconscious sense that it's not even the person, you know, talking. It's just the collective ego, you know, expression that's gone unchecked their whole fucking life. I mean, there's no connection to nature. There's no connection to things outside of what they're consuming and things outside of what they're programming themselves with by watching the some same dumbass news channel every night, the some, you know, some, all the bullshit. So like at the one, it's really hilarious how, of course, I talk to people who, use cannabis a lot or I talk to people who have had a lot of psychedelic experiences a lot. Of course, uh, there's a lot of issues that I'm sure we disagree on and have disagree on with all these people I've spoken with. But the one area that takes no amount of convincing and no energy has to be spent explaining is I go, yeah, this is all bullshit, right? They're like, yeah, it's all bullshit. I was like, well, okay, if someone's wanting to control you, the last thing they want to hear from you is to say, but why would I do that? Because this is all bullshit. Like, why do I want to go kill people? And it's all bullshit. Why do I want to go vote? Well, it's all bullshit. That's not to be apathetic or cynical. I think that's just actually having a, a conscious understanding of what's going on and go, uh-uh, I don't, want to have, I don't want to do it. Or like the whole Bill Hicks joke about not wanting to, like when you get high, you, you don't go to work because you're not, because you become lazy, you don't want to go to work because it's not worth doing in the first place. Yeah. Like what? And then oh, did you see the? That's uh, hilarious. The three grandmas on YouTube. Yeah, the ones got, smoking. Yeah, they got high for the first time, and there's a, a, a kind of towards the end of the video, one of the grandmas is like, "I just don't feel like like I care. I don't care about like she just all of a sudden had this sense that." She doesn't really care about anymore. It's just whether it's pretension, you know, she didn't really go into detail. But I know that feeling. You're like all stressed because uh, there's all these expectations or these anxiety because of things you think that you have to do that other people have kind of put on you or your culture's put on you. And uh, you get a little high circle. Uh, yeah, no, that's not really important, is it? And you start thinking about the things that are important. That's your life, your friends, your family, your day-to-day, your passions, your dreams, your orgasms. Like, these are the things that are actually, you know, important, I think, in your life. Yeah, I agree, man. It's it's, uh, relationships, man. I mean, that's what it's all about. Your relationships are so much more important than whether or not, you know, the fuck, like, like, like I'm in sales and my sales month wasn't as strong as it normally is. I just well, I, didn't fucking care. Like I was like, yeah, it's a bad month. It happens. Like, well, you know, because it's a reality. Like they sell, uh, as an example, 
the more you care about the projections and the goals and the expectations, the more likely you are to meet and then exceed them. I mean, that's real simple. And I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with that because there's a lot of things people could be selling uh, that they actually think to be uh, a value or benefit to people. And so all you're doing, kind of like what you're saying, is you're just bringing people's attention. So that's what a good salesperson does in the first place. Like a bad salesperson wants you to leave the lot with a car, even though you didn't want that model. Yeah, exactly. And you're not going to be happy with the long term. But if I'm just selling a car that I think is legit, I'm just going to let them know. And if they don't like it, well, okay, well, that's fine because I don't have time to waste on you because there's too many other people I need to tell about this awesome car or this awesome whatever it is I'm trying to – I mean, same thing, I think, with ideas. And so you know, I'm to this point now where if I've got an idea that's out of my head that I think uh, uh, makes sense and I'm talking to somebody who previously, uh, maybe just a few years ago, uh, I would have thought, well, you know what, they're going to think it's too controversial or they're going to think it's too – weird. So I'm just not going to talk to them. I, I stopped doing that. And I actually have these real conversations with people. And to my pleasant surprise, uh, most people are pretty receptive when you're just being honest. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I'm just being honest. Like, this is what I think about, you know, whether it's plant medicine. Talk plant medicines and psychedelics to someone over like 50 who's never done them. Yeah. Uh, and it's not the easiest thing, but when you just talk in honesty, uh, and your goal is to see a positive result for people, uh, people become real receptive to it, or at least more willing to engage it, versus hiding that you think that and uh, never say anything about it. So whereas it took me you know, 30 years to get to that point, uh, hopefully uh, you know, people at 13, 14, 15, teenagers, I think more and more are getting to that point where they're able to see something and then communicate this to other people and just go, no, I don't, this is not, I'm just, I disagree with you. It doesn't mean I'm right or you're wrong. It's just this, and I have a different way to see this or think about it. And, and that's uh, when the fallacy of appeal to authority comes in. They're like, no, you need to listen to us because <laughs> we're your teachers. We're your parents. I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny. Um, like studying like the trivium method and uh, yeah. the classical education, like you know, when teenagers are teenagers, that's when they need to start learning, you know, Aristotelian logic and teaching the Socratic method. Like teach them things I, so they can teach themselves. Day one, Drew. I mean, day. I, I'm I'm a huge advocate in education, especially you know at the yeah, aren't you starting. in that profession or something like that. I've done a little bit, you know, one of the courses I teach uh, is critical thinking and you just, you'd be surprised how many adults don't even know what that phrase means. And uh, you're trying to introduce these ideas where I think these ideas should be introduced at day one, the first day of of schooling. And you see parents who are, when I say educated, I don't mean just because they have a degree. I mean, they're just for themselves, they are educated, uh, and they'll pass that knowledge down to kids, but the overwhelming majority of people have no idea of any concepts or to the fallacies or rhetoric or uh, rhetorical devices or sound versus zero valid arguments, uh, have no concept, no clue. So you're starting people off with broken thinking that just it doesn't work. Like, it inherently doesn't work. 
but that's still what they have been taught to believe is true and correct. And so, well, once again, are you surprised the, that there's a lot of problems that result from that? And because we're not teaching people how to think. And oh, like you said, too, recognize when someone else is thinking bad or incorrectly or a way that doesn't make sense. And I, I, it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. because when you're talking about classical education and someone's learning trivium, which is you know, essentially just a way to think, and at that time, the people who were receiving that type of education were, I have no idea, I was kind of want to look into the details and see how many people would have gotten to that level of education as a percentage of society. I can't, I can't even imagine it being 1%, but these people now become magicians of reality. So, because I can use words to make you think certain things are real that are not. So if I use a fallacy on purpose or a rhetorical device on purpose to make you think a certain thing about reality to be true, even though I know it's not, it doesn't matter. I just change that person's reality and that's magic. And so, you know, of course, McKenna spent countless hours talking and discussing, you know, words create one's own reality and words are magic. And so that's a type of, I, I don't know this to be true, but it seems like on the edges of things I've read or, or watched that, you know, people like the concept of a witch of casting spells. We're just using words on somebody. But I know I've seen times where uh, people become entranced by someone's words or arguments, and that's no different than Barack what Obama I think. Or well, any politician, man. I mean, that's, you may absolutely, yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, the the mass collective hysterical hallucination of hope and change. You know, when it's actually just George Bush on steroids, and I, it's fascinating. The juxtaposition of a Nobel Peace Prize and starting more wars around the world—I don't fucking get that either, and I don't understand why that's not. Uh, who, and who the fuck is Nobel, anyways? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or yeah, who actually think? I guess that's the question, right? Is why do we think that that actually means that, that this person has any interest in peace? I don't, you know. And once again, it's another too. trick. We're programmed yeah. to have a response when we hear Nobel Peace Prize. They must. <laughs> They won a prize for being peaceful. <laughs> Before he even became, anyway, you know, so you that's, it, uh, you're like, you know what you did? <laughs> you got elected president. You, you get the peace prize. You're not George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> not that I, you know, this is, well, when I hear like, uh, comedians, it was always fun to hear a comedian go after Bush and, you know, when they're making jokes that are legit, whether it's talking about the war, and which was most common. Uh, but then today, I, you don't get to hear anybody you talk any shit about Obama Because the as liberals president. just say that you're a racist. That's it. And uh, it's like, well, actually, let's just say the same jokes or just replace the name and nothing else. There's, there's no difference. And so well, just wait when, not like, possible. If, I don't think. I don't know. I don't really care because I, I it's going to happen yeah. either. But when Hillary gets elected, it's going to be the same <laughs> thing. And it's going to be or whoever, the first woman gets elected. If you don't like them, it's not because you don't like her politics. It's because she's a woman. And then yeah, rape culture. The, oh, so you're just afraid of a strong woman. 
And it's like, no, not at all. I love strong women. I I want a strong woman to to you know to be with, to partner with. Like that's, I I, I like that idea. I just don't want a, a fucking sociopath. That's what I don't want. But unfortunately, that's all politicians. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, one giant magnet for it. Yeah, I don't. You're able to see, and this is part of the unplugging, right? Uh, yeah. I used to be totally wrapped up inside of politics. I mean, Didn't I worked you still on work in Washington. Yeah, I worked at Capitol Hill, you know, for a couple of congressmen, and um, nothing will make you more apolitical than a short, short amount of time on the Hill to see the bullshit work in action. I mean, firsthand. So there's no reason if you're a team player, your team or your team Republican, uh, you know, sorry, it just there's there's no. There, it's meaningless. I don't know how the hell to put it. Like it's meaningless. The things that you think will happen because you're supporting the, these people—that's not. It's just not how it works. And no one individual themselves anyway has any real uh, ability on their own to address issues uh, politically. You know, there's political party leadership. There's special interests. There's so many different things pushing and pulling that. You as an individual voter, you don't even know. They have no realization of it in the first place. And uh, I don't see why we should ever put hope in a machine for change when uh, the essence of the way that change will happen will be by controlling and continuing to dominate other people. So we can have the same goals of educating every child in the world, but we don't have to do that by stealing and taking people's money by force. I think it's much better for everybody to be on the same page, which I think everyone I've ever talked to is on the same page that, yeah, we, people need to be educated. Let's find a peaceful solution to educate everybody. Period. That's it. Agreed. Yeah, but then That's it's, it. then the thing is, is it's like the, well, people, people don't even know what an education is. <laughs> yeah, no, they, you're, it's a, it's just babysitting right now in the U.S.'s uh, institutionalized education system. Think of the, to me, this kind of goes back to you're talking about cells and then just, I think, connected to entrepreneurship, is that you can do things, uh, say, for the purpose of making money, but those things will not get you as much uh, return as if you were just doing something you're actually passionate about. So if you're actually passionate about something, you start doing it, say like doing the, the shows, you know, you get involved with it. I used to put on you know, concerts in high school and college. And I did it because it was fun. And, you know, there was a passion for doing it at that time. And uh, that's a great thing. So people can turn those things uh, the more you start doing something, whatever it is, and the, the deeper you get into it, the better you get at it, it's inevitable that at some point, if you're really good at whatever that is, somebody else will want the, uh, you know, the fruits of your passions, and they'll give you money for it. And at some point, maybe start begging you for it, because what they're asking for is your time. You're giving your your time of your passion, you know, the results of somebody else. Well, education to me is a little different where if there's a student, a kid in the current institutionalized system who wants to learn more about dinosaurs, well, go fuck yourself. You don't get to learn about dinosaurs because today we're learning about 
the bullshit of government and who the most awesome, you know, presidents were. And, man. Yeah, we're not going to talk about, you know, we're not going to talk about the people and the, the benefit that prostitutes had on women's rights in American history. That's not going to ever be discussed. We're, we're not going to talk about, we're not really going to explain to you that systematic slavery in America is just a government state run institution. You know, there's a lot of, of problems that don't get, tra- but my point is, when you're trying to force somebody to learn something, you go, sit down, you're going to read this goddamn book about Anna Green Gables, or I don't know why I tell about Anna Green Gables, that's hilarious. Uh, you know, my mom liked it. Yeah, and uh, you're not going to pay any attention to it. You're just not. No. Yeah, but if you let people go out and explore their passion, dinosaurs, well, in the process of learning anything at any deeper level, you're going to have to utilize other areas of understanding to go to those higher levels, if that makes any sense. Like, Absolutely. you know, there's going to be a point where you might have to know some basic mathematics to understand how many dinosaurs or what it means to be 250 million years ago. And maybe then you're going to learn about asteroids because that's how the dinosaurs, and that leads you to astronomy and then it leads you to astrophysics. And who knows, that leads you to science and scientific medicine and logic and uh, rational thought processes, all because you're passionate about it. But the day you try to force a kid to learn something they don't want to learn, guess what? They're not going to fucking learn it. Yeah. I yeah, mean, 100%. It's, it's not going to happen. 100%. I never read books until I realized that reading books could make me become more successful in life. <laughs> That's yeah, serious. It, I hated reading books. I mean, do you, I mean, so you don't, know, as a, like, growing up, you didn't read books for nope. fun? I mean, nope, I, I, read, I assume you I read, read something. I read magazines. I read a sporting news magazine and then I started, um, I got really into fitness. So I started reading muscle magazines and then not until I got into network marketing and they were like, if you want to be successful, you need to read these books. And I was like, Oh yeah. And they're like, yep. And I was like, okay, I want to be successful. So then I started reading books and I was like, holy shit, I've been missing out on tons and tons of information. And then I started, uh, they were like, you know what you should do instead of listening to the radio? You should listen to a book. And I was like, that's a great idea. So then I started listening to books whenever I drive. And then I then I kind of got bored with books. So then I started listening to Alex Jones. And then I was like, God, I want to kill myself. So then I started, then I, then I started listening to JRE. Like then I found JRE and then I started listening to podcasts. And, um, and I always liked listening to interviews too. Like I always liked, uh, you know, DVD commentary. Like if it was like, I remember watching clerks and the commentary of clerks with Kevin Smith and like Ben Affleck and all these people I'm like, Oh, this is so cool to just hear these people talk about making this movie. And lo and behold, that's, that's what people do all the time now. It's so popular on demand podcasting, but like, you know, like, I mean, reading books is like, you know, it. I've taught myself so much things because of the internet and, and learning how to read and learning via how, how to read and read books. I learned how I learn because I didn't really know how I learned before. I just bullshitted my way through class because I know I could because I realized that it was just some game. And then I figured out the rules of the game and then I played them. So it's, it's, yep. it's, it's not, it, it was never about an education. I went to college because. Like originally I actually wanted to get an education and I actually surprisingly wanted to go to Antioch or Hiram College and then I wanted to study psychology and then um, – because it was interesting to me. 
And then my friend's mom convinced me that pharmacy school would be a good idea because I couldn't get a job if I studied psychology. But a pharmacist, you know, you'd have a job and it was going to pay you well. So then I went from studying things that I was interested in to studying things because I wanted to make money. And then when I was studying uh, sciences and pharmacy, I realized pharmacy was fucking boring. And But I liked science. So then I was like, well, you know what? I'll be a doctor. That'll be cool. And then... Man, I, I studied everything in college except for business and engineering, and those are the two things that I'm most interested in now. <laughs> the uh, well, we have the as a product of you know it's just institutionalization of education. You know, there's a huge emphasis on trying to make people be something. Yeah, you know, you have to because if you want to be this. Now you're going to have to do this. You have to go to this school. You're going to have to get this kind of education, or you're going to have to go get this. You're going to have to go to Votech to get some, you know, hands-on skills so you can be this or whatever the case is. And it's like that whole being is part of trying to put you into the current system of you just got to exist to make money. You got to exist to pay taxes on the tax farm to your uh, masters, and then. You have to have money so you can consume and get all the things that uh, you think make you more awesome, you know, and feed your ego. Whereas, I, I don't know who said this recently, but uh, it, I think it was some community with Cat Williams or, you know, talking about how poor people and rich people have more in common. Uh, and it's the, the people in the middle who have the real problems because, it, you know, if you're a middle class, you've got your mortgage you've got your car payments, you've got all these things, uh, all this shit that you've got to pay for and keep up with. But a lot of it's just for appearances, you know, or, or feeding your ego. And so uh, you're always just getting by. You're barely getting by. And maybe you're having to work extra. You had to work overtime for this. And so your life's consumed and uh, working for other people just so you can make money. Uh, to get shit, and then if you miss a month or two, you know, you've got serious problems you got to deal with, whereas, you know, a rich person, of course, the value of money uh, it becomes extremely diminished the more you have of it, so it's not a big deal uh, considering, you know, what that difference of a $1,000 is. Well, poor people are the same way. If you don't have anything in the first place, what are you going to take? Yeah. So it's kind of like that whole idea of fuck you money. Well, poor people got fuck you money too. It's just like, fuck you, what are you going to take? You can't take anything from somebody that doesn't have anything in the first place. And so when you're caught up in that middle ground, it's rough. I mean, you. so when you're talking about how much time do you spend, you know, thinking or meditating about your actions in a given day, you have zero time when you hate your job. And that's created a bad relationship at home or bad relationship with friends and family. Or you're just depressed. You've got anxiety issues. Uh, why would you want to spend time in self-reflection? Because when you do that, you just realize how fucked up everything is. And you don't think there's any kind of solution. When the solution is a kind of complete, to me, reset of uh, your reality and how you view things. You have to be outside of that cultural phenomenon of producing and consuming, I mean, producing for other people, you know, at their command yeah. versus producing for yourself. And so that comes full circle back to something like Airbnb where 
you know, when you're in a consumer, uh, a consumer driven uh, society, you have people that have a lot of things that are underutilized. And so one of those things is a house. I mean, houses on average, I think are bigger than they've ever been in the U S and, uh, so more people are in debt because of that, uh, I'm sure as well than ever in the U S and, uh, they've over leveraged themselves financially, but they also underutilize the space that they have. I mean, compared to my grandparents who after the war bought one of these little shotgun houses of maybe 1200 square feet or something, maybe even less. And that's, that was okay. That was cool. It worked to fit their needs. And uh, so now when you have this excess, you're in the situation where you realize, Oh wow, I could just share some of my uh, access to the this stuff I have, and somebody can benefit. It's a win-win. They can benefit by staying in it, and I can benefit by getting some money. And the more you start to integrate that, the more likely it is that now, like you said, you're making enough money to pay for your mortgage. So maybe you don't have to work as much, and you start developing a more sustainable lifestyle that allows you to follow your passions. I mean. I've been in situations, I mean, just even going to grad school, trying to work to, you know, run a business or work on another side. Too. I think I was substitute teaching at the time, too. I'm doing a lot of extra stuff on top of going to try to get my master's. And uh, you don't have a lot of time to think. You don't have any time to think. And so it's hard to consider other options. Whereas, especially like following a particular passion, whether it be art, music, I think entrepreneurialism is an art form because the whole goal is to put something out that somebody else wants more than their money and uh, it benefits them in some way, form or fashion. And an entrepreneur usually is creating, you know, something new in the marketplace and that's innovation, that's creativity, that's a type of expression. I think it's all positive things, but even entrepreneurialism, I mean, there's decent lip service to it, but when it really comes down to it, there's zero education. There's zero focus on teaching this, and there's zero focus on trying to create somebody who's, you know, self-sustaining and and who thinks for themselves. Those are very dangerous things to somebody, and, uh, it, you know, America's greatest asset is fear, and if you're not scared anymore, uh, a lot of the shit they do, they can't do anymore. Wow, was that? A, I felt like that was a long. That was long good, talk. man. We we got we went we went in this humongous bubble, and then we still found our path. We took the scenic route in the conversation. We could have just talked about Airbnb, but instead we decided to talk about twenty topics, as usual. Um, but yeah, man, I I completely agree, man. You you go, um, you know, a couple things you said there, like you know, the the one thing that I learned. When I was reading books, as I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I learned that, you know, I read that at a young age, which I'm really happy I did, because I learned that a house is a liability and not an asset, and everybody's going to try to tell you that it's an asset, but it's just a lie. It's actually a liability. So why not turn your house into an asset? So how would you, so, and basically broke down, well, what's, what's a liability? A liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. That's a liability financially. Like, so if it's not, if it's not producing any income for you, then it's a liability. Now I get that it's a nest egg and I think that the logic behind it being a lot, a, a, 
an asset was, well, you know, you'll have your house. And then once you pay off your mortgage, you can sell your mortgage and then you can, you can go on in retirement and do it. Yeah. And and Drew, how many, how many years do you have to slave away till you get to that point? Man, my dad, so my dad is actually kind of in this position and he just retired and he worked 30 years, um, actually over 30 years and he's, his house is almost paid off. Um, you know, he's going to, he's taking another gig because it's going to pay him lots of money and he has to travel a bunch, but it's going to be good for him. And then him and my stepmom want to, um, they want to get one of those awesome like catamaran sailboats or whatever they are, like the really fancy luxury sailboat things. Yeah. And they want to sail, they want to live on it and sail around the world. I'm like, that's an awesome fucking dream. That's fucking awesome. But like for us, there's no opportunity even for us to work 30 years and have retirement or have a pension. Like my dad is the last of that generation. Like there's, there's no more of that. Like I, I work at, well, I know there's companies now that have pensions, um, and they're they're getting bought out by other companies, and and they're eliminating those pensions. So there's people that are going to get big buyouts, which will be nice. But even then, like that's that's not the idea, and it it it's really just a, it's just a farce. Like the whole idea that you know we're we're on this 401k system. Oh, oh yeah, they match your 401k. Yeah, yeah. Put put a bunch of money into that 401k. It's like why that money's not going to do anything. Like what? So so you can lose money from some asshole that you trust to invest for your future? That's a great idea. Hey, why don't you just pay me, and I'll I'll just take that money, and uh, maybe you'll make some more. Maybe I'll make you some more money, but it will be safe, so I won't let you spend it though. And if you do want to spend it, you're gonna have to pay a penalty, and I'm gonna keep a lot of that money. So that's a brilliant idea, don't you think? Like it's. Well, it's a- it's a nice way to get somebody to stick. At least a 401k, you can get access to that money versus like a old school traditional pension with a, you know, the government or, or some yeah. corporation or something that easily could be uh, disintegrated because of some asshole's decision. Yeah. But, uh, um, but the 401k, you know, but, was, yeah. it was never meant to be a replacement. It was meant to be a supplement. Yeah, I mean, I well, it, it depends. I, you know, a lot of people looked at that as a, a good way to offer an alternative, which they hoped would change people's minds. Because the the old school pension programs with corporations and governments were, were just inherently unsustainable, and that was not news to anybody who understood finance or economics. But it was news to policymakers. It was news to the people who you know worked their asses off for thirty years to put that money into that system only to find out that they're, they're not going to get what they were promised. And so at least with, you know, the 401k, it becomes more individualized, uh, you know, where people can see it or an IRA or something. But, you know, it, I, I think there's an important distinction between uh, assuming that the value of the U S uh, dollar as a currency is going to increase in value, you know, over 40 years from now. And a very important concept of, of saving a little something, not just money, but saving uh, in a big picture sense, saving now to get something better later. And uh, that's proven to be a very powerful concept uh, for people because it relates to like education. You know, you're, you're not going to get your return on education for a long time, and I don't mean financially. I mean just like 
the return of how good it feels to realize how stupid you were. And <laughs> I personally enjoy that feeling because I, it's, it's, it, now that's embarrassing. You talk about embarrassing as looking back at uh, something you used to think or a paper maybe you wrote, uh, you know, like a, uh, your opinion type paper or pro kind like, I was a fucking moron. <laughs> oh, dude, I wrote this. I wrote this paper in college about online communities and other stupid. <laughs> I wish I still had that paper, man. I'll have to look hard to see if I can find it. Um, I might still. That's have hilarious. It. it was like my opinion paper, and uh, I learned a lot in that class because my that professor like. Uh, actually, man, he's, he's, he, I learned more in that class that helped me in the workforce and I took him twice than I have before his name is, uh, I'll shout him out. He's got a, a he's got a poetry book on Amazon. Um, his name's Michael Catanzaro and he used to be a banker. He was like the president of a bank and, uh, decided that he hated that life and he went, went and wanted to be an educator so he went and got his PhD. He got two degrees and then he got his PhD in English. Um, he's like a super smart dude, but he would always like just tear apart my argument. Like he'd, you'd read along in class. He'd try to help you. And if, and if you weren't listening and you were being a lot irrational, he would quickly help you see how <laughs> irrational you were being. And oh, that's uh, great. He was very he was, important. Yeah. I, not to, not to get too, not to backtrack or now backtracking, but yeah, like, it, like, it's so funny to think about like, God, was I, st or even when I first learned that, you know, nine eleven was bullshit, man, I fucking told everybody like, and then I realized like, it doesn't fucking matter though. Like that's, that's just, <laughs> yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, I had to tell everybody, man, like I had to go around, dude, the federal reserve, it's not, it's not owned by the government. That's a private company. Dude, I wore out so many people. Like I, I it was like a, and then in network marketing too. Like, a, and it was like, it's like, man, when I look back and be like, man, why was I unsuccessful in network marketing? Why was I, why was I unex, why was I not successful about people like being being able to communicate my ideas with people? It was because I wasn't emotionally intelligent enough to communicate. Number one, and I wasn't um, like I couldn't intel intelligently defend myself. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't like just learn. It was like kind of like the art of communication. Like, okay, well let's, let's see what they have to say. And then let's try to introduce ideas that are going to fit them. Like try to introduce uh -huh. them in a way that they will be receptive to versus like, did you know this? <laughs> like, <laughs> You should do this. Oh my God. The government is evil. So it's, it's funny, man. But, um, but yes, yeah, so like what's that? I was going to say, like, you're reading a script, you know, but to me, that's the product of buying into ideology. Yeah. And to, to me, ideology is toxic, and there's nothing positive you're going to bring from that. And as opposed to just going, I'm, I'm going to think, you know, yeah. and so I'm going to analyze uh, these arguments. These people are saying these claims are saying... And maybe part of it is true, and that you can't accept that if you buy into an ideology, and uh, you can't see past a label when you buy into an ideology, or you're a fundamentalist about any particular issue. And so that's where we lose the human connection and the humanity 
is because we sit here and we look at labels and we see people as labels. We find out that this restaurant is owned by a Republican or a Democrat, so I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to support them, but they have fucking awesome food, right? Yeah, well, eat their goddamn food, you know, versus we're going to see a labels. Well, the more you see a labels, the more that prevents you from, like you said, having uh, intelligent uh, conversations where you can actually exchange ideas and get past all the bullshit that yeah. separates us right now. Because if I talk to you, you know, if I call myself a Republican, like a Texas Republican, and I talk, I meet somebody who's from back east uh, that considers themselves uh, East Coast, you know, uh, Democrat, we're not going to communicate with one another at all. It's not going to be possible. But when I instead see past those labels and see this is just a human, you know, and for one reason or another, they've come to these ideas and these conclusions. Um, I don't have to talk to them about the bullshit. We're going to move past that. And we're actually going to have a conversation as individuals and exchange ideas. And I think when you usually get to that point, you're going to find out that you're more on the same page than not. It's just that people have just have decided they're going to come to different conclusions or different solutions. But if somebody thinks that the government is a solution to every social problem, uh, it doesn't make them a bad person. The results of those policies might be really horrendous, but uh, that person may not have ever been engaged in a, a respectful, intelligent conversation with somebody who wasn't trying to, you know, once again, dominate them in an argument but instead exchange ideas and say, you know, I, like I was saying, I share the idea of every human being be, being educated and having the ability to critically think for oneself and be self-sustaining, but I just don't think the, you know, government is the best solution. And so can we just, let's think about other solutions, you know, let's have brainstorming. So instead of getting upset and arguing with that person, you can just sit there and say, well, Okay, so I, I see what you're saying about the government, but what could maybe be some other solutions? Like, do, can you think of another way to do this? And then you get to have open, honest dialogue. And, you know, I, I think that's really needed. I think it's really important. I think younger people are getting this more than, than anyone. And uh, I think uh, the psychedelic experience is a key component to uh, understanding what that even means and getting past the labels. And so... What are you going to do? What are you going to do, too? Well, I think so, too, as well as, like, uh, I guess removing the ideology from the psychedelic experience, too. Like, just do it to ask yourself questions. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, do it to get to know yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to experience some crazy things. Like, I think we were talking about uh, camping and eating edibles. And, like, <laughs> I remember being <laughs> in, in Arizona and wondering, like, how can they not see me through the tent right now? <laughs> but, but yeah, man, a discussion of ideas is that's, that's, that's so important. It's just so important, but people, it's so weird. People just want that conflict. I mean, it's like, it's everywhere too. Like it's on bullshit ESPN. It's on, it's on CNN. It's on Fox news. It's on, it's on Judge Judy, it's on Maury, it's on all reality TV. It's not like nothing is, it's always the conflict. And there's there's constantly like the, 
Like it's like we're ingrained to have like to seek out conflict in our life. It's like a weird thing that like for me, once I noticed it, like and it's like I've tried to remove conflict from all of my life. Like I'm trying to re- remove contradictions from my thinking process. I'm trying to like to do to do all that stuff. And then like it's it's weird because there's some parts of you that you ignore and then you're like, man, I don't understand this. Or there's like the and one like one of them for me right now, I think, is like my my like my health and fitness. Like I know what's bad to eat. I know what I shouldn't be drinking, what I shouldn't be eating, but I continue to do it. And it's like it's like this weird thing that like so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to uh mix some things up here really soon. And um and it's like there's that that's one thing that like I haven't been able to conquer in these two years that I need to to focus energy on because now it's like, you know, I've, I've positioned myself from, you know, like just different position, like just even financially from like working two shit jobs, doing the podcast and then like trading in the two shit jobs, getting a good job. But now, you know, you know, there's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So now I also have to have plans for like to actually do this entrepreneur stuff that I always preach about. So, cause I don't want to have a contradiction and just, you know, so I had to, you know, start being about it, stop talking about it, you know what I mean? Or do both. And, um, so it's, it's interesting, man. It's interesting. And, and, and you're, and you're right. Like, I think younger people do get the discussion of ideas. And what's also interesting is the way that older, the older generation is trying to label the younger people. And so now, and it's trying to like, I feel like they're attempting to confuse the younger generation and saying, our generation sucks with a trophy generation. It's like, why do you think that? Like, they're not, we're not the ones who gave ourselves the trophies. We're not responsible. <laughs> like, who the fuck was you? You, they complained everybody got a trophy when I was growing up. It's like, you're the ones that fucking raised us. You're the Drew, ones. What, that, did you, what's what did you just, what did you just say? You're talking about conflict. I yeah. mean, this is, that is the goal. I mean, think about it. What is the key ingredient? to any successful, you know, reality television show with conflict. 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 And that's pre programmed and obviously they write the that into the storyline to well, get they that write conflict to happen. Reality T V that doesn't sound like reality. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, but you're absolutely right. And so uh, media, you know, and, and pop culture, media culture or, you know, cable television and the stupid fucking ads you have to watch on T V and I've never felt better in my life uh, than since having stopped watching uh, cable TV, stopped watching news programs, stopped watching advertisements. I don't watch any of that shit. And, uh, well, guess what? That conflict, like you said, it's not in my face. It's not any time that even I, I see a split second of that, I get almost like a revulsion. I feel like, it, you know, in my consciousness and going, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with it. Zero. I don't want, I don't care if it's entertaining. Like there's other things that are way more entertaining to me. I'm going to seek those out and, and put those into my mind and versus, Hey, we're going to put this new story, uh, you know, on the television or on the news because it creates conflict amongst uh, the people watching it and it's demonstrating conflict, uh, in the news itself. And so it'll lose, lose, but, uh, it's a great way to hook people. I think it's only, I know there's a handful of studies that talk about, you know, the changes to the brain after just watching the, the nightly news for just a few weeks and how 
that makes people see the world in a more uh, cynical way, makes people more uh, scared of their surroundings. And so, well, this is something we can demonstrate. I I don't want that in my life. And so I, you know, I would, you could save a lot of money, you know, by not buying into that bullshit because you don't have a hundred plus dollar cable bill and uh, just do that for six months and see how much better you feel. Don't watch an ad on television for six months and see how much better you feel and then see how crazy it is to see the, the ad in the first place. Watch so it's like, yeah. I think there's a combination. So you do that, you remove that type of conflict and just bullshit from your life. Uh, obviously, I think that has to go into relationships as well, um, which you might be the problem, you know, in those relationships because of the conflict you're creating. Uh, but if other people are doing that, at some point, you just can't have that around. Uh, and then also, you're talking about the money and, uh, you know, making money and having money. And we came from a, a generation where uh, nothing was better in the 80s. Like growing up as kids, uh, uh, we're being, getting lots of money, lots yeah. of money. You got to make money. You got to have a lot of shit. You got to have a lot of shit. You got to make a lot of money. Well, nobody finds any kind of contentment or satisfaction in that lifestyle. And so, uh, it's uh, without a doubt, I'm making less money now uh, than I've ever made, you know, in my, whatever you call it, adult life, you know, post-college uh, or post-grad school, whatever. Uh, but I've not been half happier. I've not been more content. I've not been more, I haven't felt more free because you lose a lot of obligations that you otherwise have when you just decide, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend money on that, and I don't yeah. have to worry about making money to do that, or to get those things, or do those things. And instead, instead of getting shit, I'm going to have experiences. So, you know, we rented out over the past summer uh, for six weeks to a family from Scandinavia on Airbnb. And so that's why we took off for uh, four weeks. We ended up spending in Colorado camping. And, you know, that rental doesn't get us a ton of extra money. But guess what? There's free camping in some of the most, probably some of the most beautiful spots in the U.S., hands down. And it's free. And I can camp. I can chill. I can eat Amiotomuscaria mushrooms, you know, that I find on the trail. Uh, it's <laughs> awesome. And you feel amazing. But it's like for us, it took it took right about the end of that four weeks where you just realize it broke. Something broke and you go, man, all this bullshit, you know, back in the, the standard day-to-day living, uh, there's not a lot of fulfillment in it. But there was tremendous fulfillment. And I'm not like some... I'm not like a, a lifelong, you know, outdoor type person. You know, I don't carry the water bottle around with me and, and buy the right clothes and do all that shit. I mean, I've got a tent that's fallen apart from I don't know how many years ago that we keep, you know, uh, rigging up with tape and super glue, but it works and uh, it's very enjoyable. Well, and, and so this comes full circle background to what I said at the very beginning at this campsite that we're at. You know, it's a, it's the Colorado River, and we're camping right on it. And it's this great view, and right now the sun's setting, 
uh, over some Texas, like Texas Hill Country, and so uh, to the uh, the west, that's where the meteorites flew by and exploded. And so we were out camping on a Saturday evening. I think it was two weeks ago. Just look it up. It's it. There's some cool videos uh, of it. I'm listening to like Terrence McKenna talking about psychedelic plants all around the world. You know, I'm just totally tranced out. Got the fire going, just staring into the sky with be- you know, with like a full moon just lit up. And then uh, I think it was full moon anyway. Uh, then all of a sudden. It was like a helicopter flew over our head and with a giant spotlight. Like, that's how bright it was. I think the news article, I mean, said that the meteorite flash was five times brighter than a full moon. And, you know, I had this split second of, like, near apocalypse doom because I saw in the... Because I'm staring right at this guy. It was just the perfect timing. See this giant, big-ass object flying across the sky. I mean, it's big in perspective to the sky. And uh, I see a flying with these streaks behind it. And I'm thinking, and this all happened like in less than a second because it was an emotional response where my heart started racing. And I thought, is this fucking it? Like, this is the feeling. I had that feeling of this is the end. Like, this is the shit now. Where are we going to go when this thing blows up? And, you know, there's giant firestorms and clouds of smoke and all the animals die and then we die because we don't have any more oxygen. And, uh, but then when the meteorite lit up and exploded, it was like a giant big ass firework. It was beauty and it was uh, awe and it was inspirational. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And I would have never seen that if I hadn't just decided, you know, I'm going to engage, um, spending time in nature and I'm not going to be caught up in as much bullshit um, as previous. And I'm just going to sit around on a Saturday evening and stare at the sky with a cool ass fire, uh, tripping out to a McKenna talk and Oh shit, here's a meteorite you know, <laughs> like that blows up right in front of you. Like it seriously, uh, you know, I can think now back to people in uh, ancient people's day thinking about the stars and the sky and things like that. And you have this feeling of going, wow, we're, I'm really insignificant. It's very, very ego suppressing because that meteorite, I mean, it's a rare, it's a very unlikely that we were going to see that in the first place. And uh, just imagine, you know, it's happened plenty of times in the past where it was way bigger and it did hit. And there was total destruction. And so what we think is important on a day-to-day is obviously not important. And things can change, you know, in that blink. And that's why if you're not in some way engaging your passions or your dreams, uh, you know, you're always going to have that conflict in your life and your consciousness. You're going to be at dis-ease in your life. You're going to have probably not going to have the best relationships. You're not going to, you're going to have anxiety and depressed feelings on and off. I mean, there's not a lot of benefit to it because you don't have any meaning because you're only going to find the meaning when you find it in yourself, you know, that you are the reason, like you're what's important. You're the point, you're the purpose. 
uh, but we're told the exact opposite in, in culture today. Absolutely. Um, hey, one second, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit hit the bathroom real quick because I want to say something else. Give me one Can we second. record? Let's record that. Yeah, let me record. All right, I'm gonna keep the door open, the microphone towards the toilet. Give me one sec. So back. All right. So back to, um, you know, we were, we were talking about money and one thing with money is, is this. So I think people need to change their relationship with money. And I think it's, I don't think it's bad to make a lot of money because eventually I think, you know, it's, it's part of, no, not at all. it's part of becoming free, but I think, you know, to become financially free, to become like, to get to the point where you don't have to depend on anybody for your income, you have to make changes. So you have to make changes in like, I don't need to buy that right now. Like, you know, I'm still guilty of it, dude. I just bought a new iPad because I wanted to read books or I, you know, I'll, I'll still buy shit here and there, but it's usually, it's usually if I buy something, it's, it's going to be either me doing research for, for ideas that I have for myself or for, okay, I'm going to buy this cause it's going to help me save money. So that sort of thing. So, so, so getting back to Airbnb, um, you know, and, and talking about like liabilities and, you know, so you buy this big stupid house, you don't need like this guy. I know he just bought a house and I think he pays $800 a month just for property taxes. Uh, yeah. So ridiculous. Like, why Why would you do that? And, uh, like, just so you could have a big house and try to impress people you don't really like? Like, I never understood that, man. Like, it's not about space, clearly, at this point. And um, so, you know, why not? Why, why wouldn't you say, okay, so I have, I have this, this, um, I have my house. So why don't I try to figure out a way that I can have have something in my house or generate income with my house so then I can just have my house pay for itself. So, or why not, um, okay, I like comedy shows, so why not find a way that I could go to these comedy shows and have this hobby pay for itself? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about being smarter. It's all about taking a look at the things you like to do and 
and shifting, removing the lens you've been looking at it and say, okay, so how could I make money by doing this? I mean, you look at, um, look at Rogan. Like Rogan's a great example for this. So Rogan, the way that Rogan does his comedy shows, right? His tour, with the exception of like more recently, because he's not doing the UFC as much, but his touring would always be via the UFC. So like he would go where he'd do shows wherever he was doing the UFC, right? So, I mean, he could get all of his travel paid for by the UFC. You know what I mean? So it's it's just like uh, it 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 you know it makes sense. Like have try to have your things line up with one another. Try to have your things complement one another. And then it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with education. Let's say you love dinosaurs, right? Well, you're gonna have to learn all these other things because of your love for dinosaurs. Well, if you love something well enough and you love a couple things, like why not try to have them interact with one another? Why not try to, I mean, when, when they talk about multiple streams of income, like I think that's a real thing, man. Like you want to have independent things. So why not use your hobbies? Why not take all your hobbies and try to make money with your hobbies in some way? Like all of them, you're probably not going to win that battle, but try to like do it in a way so you can't win that battle. So you like camping, you like to travel. Well, I can rent out my house and then I can use that money to pay for my traveling or to pay for my mortgage. You know what I mean? So it's, it's all. You're exactly right. And that's like, that was uh, our whole point from the beginning because I mean, to me, one of the best things I can do, what makes me the happiest and really content uh, is, is to travel and to go to new places and, Meeting new people and experience different cultures and people doing things. I, I mean, I've been doing this since I was a teenager, uh, traveling around. And so those are some of my best memories. And you think, well, why would I not find a way, like you said, let's find a way to do it more. And I, I, maybe I make a lot of money or maybe I just make enough to do what I want to do. But either way, I'm still getting to have the experiences I want to have. And so I think people get, I totally agree with what you're saying. I just think that a lot of people get uh, too, well, they get too caught up in obsessing on the, the financial return part, which, which I I get it. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I I have shared that same feeling, but uh, until you can come to kind of a conscious, acceptance that getting the financial return will not bring you the satisfaction that you want for your life um, and that or and or just that money itself as a, a thing is not usually the best way you know to get that satisfaction as an end goal uh, versus finding ways to express yourself or uh, you know, follow passions or the things you really like. And so when you're trying to work, you're trying to integrate these things, whether it's travel and making money from that or doing shows and making money from that, uh, people still just, especially people who aren't experienced in it uh, and doing entrepreneurial things, they'll still get caught up on the money side. It's the money. Well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get that? I'm not going to be able to afford this. I can't yeah. shop here anymore. I can't. Well, look at every... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know this. Like, you listen to enough comedians talk about how they got started. The common denominator with all of them is that 
for a long time. They didn't have any money. They probably slept in a, in their car. They probably slept on someone's couch, you know, maybe even did this for years uh, to the point where finally it worked out that they were following a passion uh, versus going, well, I'm just going to write jokes because I want to make money. And uh, I'm not saying you, that won't work for somebody because obviously it can. I just think that when you take that risk, uh, you know, and the kind of like said, jumping, you know, nature loves courage. So when you, when you take the risk and you jump into the abyss, uh, it'll protect you and you're going to fall into a giant feather bed, you know, where these things work out some way or another just because of the the sheer conscious energy you're putting into this thing and you're creating something new. And sometimes that takes a while to get caught on with other people, whether it's, you know, you're, you, you're making some sort of like pottery and you're selling that on Etsy. Well, just because you made five pots one time and put it on and nobody bought it, that doesn't mean that that's something that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you didn't get the return that you thought, well, what if you don't really need that shit that you're buying? What if you do wear the, you know, I don't know why it's always just buying new clothes and shit's like usually the last thing I want to do. Unless it's buying. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking a thrift store and Walmart's too expensive. (laughs) And, uh, unless it's buying something, I mean, that I really like, which happens, you know, and I get there's something particular, but, or buying a shirt to support like a band that we've been in that or support a comic or support someone's business. You know, I like to do that, uh, or artwork that they'll put out. So, but as far as like the keeping up with the, uh, appearances and the potential of it, what the fuck ever, you know, I got this pair of black Levi jeans. I got, to dress up as John Travolta and Pulp Fiction at uh, Halloween, I got them at a Goodwill for I think two fifty, and I've been rocking the shit out of those for I think four, maybe five years now. I mean, they're falling apart, but I love them. I don't, so I'm gonna wear those all the time because I like them, and everybody else goes fuck themselves. I mean, it's just meaningless uh, beyond what I actually like, you know, and want to experience, but. You know, the more you have those obligations to other people, financially or energetically, I don't know energetic is the word, but uh, the less you're going to be able to have that experience for your life. And I think experience is all we've got. Like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's the truth. That is the truth, brother. Well, I, I tell you what. <laughs> true enough. True. true enough, son. True enough. True enough. Oh, you're also an Uber driver. <laughs> yeah, I started doing that recently too. Uh, you were talking about diversified, you know, forms of, of income. Income, and it's like, I mean, you read this in any, you know, usually in any discussion of uh, Uber or Lyft and the people that drive it, but it's real common that they're going to, these drivers are going to tell you they're working on some startup or they're trying something new or they're trying to get some extra cash to, you know, they can be paying on bills, take a vacation. But what's better than, I've had nothing but awesome experiences uh, so far, just a couple of months uh, where I'm not doing it all the time. I don't do it because 
as a job, you know, like this is something I have to do every single day and I get stressed out by it. It just goes, wow, you know, I could use, I use a hundred bucks for this or that because I want to get something or, or whatever. And so I drive around in my car and pick people up and take them places and I get to have awesome conversations with them uh, during the ride. And to a certain extent, you know, it's, I, there's enough enjoyment from it for me that it's something I'd even do for free, like on the side, just go, and I get people rights, <laughs> you know, because you get to talk to random people and you realize, once again, you're making a human connection and go, you know, most people are pretty cool. I like them. Yeah. I, uh, I actually used remote Uber. I ordered a ride for somebody else when I was in my house. And then I had to communicate with the driver as to where it was. It was kind of interesting. Um, the guy like seemed really excited because he's like, "Oh, I've never done this before." It's <laughs> like me neither. <laughs> Let's see how this works, man. It's like you feel like a pioneer when you use Uber because you're doing something that's not normal. Like you're doing something that's abnormal <laughs> to what we've been ingrained to do with cabs. Everybody hates riding in a cab, but we do it anyways. Why not ride in some other guy's car? Let him drive you. I think how weird it is that uh, there's huge power structures uh, mobilizing to try to control and prevent, uh, you know, ride sharing from taking place in the, in the first place and defending the broken uh, system of taxis. And so if I'm a taxi cab driver, it, there's an enormous benefit to becoming an Uber driver instead. Oh, yeah. You know, you're going to make more. I think I have read articles discussing that, like how they make more money and that's the common thing, but we're going to defend this, this shit. When do you get to review a taxi cab driver? You don't. No. You don't. So who the fuck knows who you're going to get? And whereas an Uber, if he has a driver, if you get it uh, enough poor reviews, you don't get to drive anymore. You're done. Yeah. That's it. Or and then you if you get, get some, rides anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. If you as a rider go low enough, you can't use a service. And if you give a driver a low enough rating, uh, you won't ever be matched up with that driver again. So there's a lot of benefits. And the one thing that I don't see people discuss, at least in the mainstream when they're talking about Uber and all these stupid regulations they're trying to put on it, um, is that Uber and Lyft, they don't pick people up randomly on the street. Like, it's not a public service in, in that way. No, it's a private you're, service. Yeah, you're pre-approved before the ride happens. Versus a cab drives around and can pick up anybody anywhere in the streets. And you can't do that with Uber or Lyft. So we're already talking about apples and oranges. So we're not even talking about the same thing. So, okay, so if I, as an Uber driver, want to just pick up random people just stand around on the street as, as a rider, Okay, that's like a taxi service. And, and okay, now your argument makes a little more sense because it's a, doing the same thing as a taxi, but by pre-approval and reviews and ratings and the background checks, all, all these additional things, having a credit card, you know, knowing you're going to be able to pay at the end. And some people uh, might want to use taxis over Uber, especially during uh, surge pricing. Yeah, if there's a taxi, but, you know, guess what? Uh, when, yeah, if it's true, like, you know, too much demand for the supply, 
with a taxi, guess what happens? There's no taxi. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've been there on holiday night, you know, like New Year's Eve or something. You're trying to get a taxi to go back. You can't get it. No, I mean, it's it hours. Took me, it took me um, one time when I wasn't driving, I ordered a taxi from every single service. I waited four <laughs> hours and nobody came to pick me up to take me downtown to go to an OSU game. So if I had Uber, I would have been down there. I would have paid 20 bucks. If I would have waited on that cabbie and he would have actually came, I would have had to pay him like 40 bucks and I would have had an awful experience. And, um, so it is what it is. I I don't like, I I don't like cabs at all. You know, I I think you definitely understand the economic concept behind, uh, surge pricing. But once again, this is something that doesn't get, addressed as a point of education regarding what's actually happening. First of all, I get really upset about a lot of things uh, people say and do, and one of them is people complaining about the concept of gouging. They're just price gouging. Like, (laughs) okay, whatever the fuck that means, but I'll tell you what's actually happening is if there's too much demand for something, and the supply is too limited, it's just like a law of nature, it's a law of economics, that your price point's going to increase for that service. That's just what happens because certain people want it more than you. So let's say like your example, right? You're trying to go to what you consider is going to be the greatest college football game of all fucking time, like of all time. You're absolutely convinced of this. You've paid the money for the tickets. You bought tickets for your friends. You got your fucking gear on. You've eaten lots of edibles. You're doing. You're fucking rocking and ready to go. You got mushrooms. You have time. And <laughs> oh shit, there's no taxi. So there's no taxi, like you said. Like they're all gone. I, I've called five different ones. I've been waiting for an hour. I'm I'm gonna miss the fucking game. And you go onto Uber and it goes surge pricing. You're going to pay 10 times as much as normal to go to the game. So now you have two options. One, you get to experience this experience that you consider for you personally to be one of the potentially greatest experiences you could ever have in your life versus some asshole that just wants to go to, I don't know, someone wants to just go to some restaurant. You want to go to the mall or wherever, to something else. That that they really don't really care about, but whatever. I just feel like going now, but then it's not it's not a make or break. Uh, so when they get on to the surge pricing, they're all pissed off. They're all complaining like it's fucking gouging. Whereas you, who actually you're part of the demand that's making that surge pricing happening because it's allowing uh, other people with less demand to fall off. It's like standing in line at a club. Mm-hmm. Like, if you know, if people fall off, whatever. The people who really want to fucking get in, they wait in the line. Well, you want to go to the fucking football game, and now it's $100 instead of $10. I think you're probably going to want to spend that. You're going to go, I, maybe not at the point, because you don't like losing 100 bucks necessarily, but the end result of that is 100 bucks will get me to where I want to be versus the alternative was, I had no ability to even pay $100 to get there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, and I agree. And I would have paid that one day when I was waiting to go. I would have paid a lot of money to go because are you you're whining? Forever. Are you whining like a bitch the whole time because a Melvich because you had to pay all this money to go to the thing that you think's the most epic thing in the world? No. You've already paid a lot of fucking money to go to this thing that you wanted to go yeah, to. I was, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was more upset about the fact that I couldn't go at all, and like my friends. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, man, I can't even fucking go because these cabs are fucking worthless. But here's the thing, too. I mean, there's there's more competitors that are coming out. So if you don't like surge pricing, I mean, you can always see what the competitors are offering. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, I like, yeah. I understand surge pricing for sure. I mean, um, every Saturday night at the OSU games, like, if it's a night game, I remember one guy telling me about surge pricing. He's like, man, it was crazy. And I was like, yeah. That sounds yeah, crazy. but guess what? So when you're a driver, and maybe I should explain it too from that perspective. You get paid uh, a lot more money. Well, you get paid a lot more money, but what happens is you have your little map for your your driver app, and a section of, of town uh, becomes bright red, and it says surge pricing, and you get like these you know, lightning flashes. So even if I'm 20 miles away, and I know like that surge price, especially it's like for a big event, you know, so it's not just something for 10 minutes, maybe for a few hours. Uh, I'm going to get my fucking ass over there to make some money. But really what that means, I'm getting over there to create supply. And once the supply becomes evened out, the search pricing then goes away. But it's just a signal in the marketplace. So whenever someone has prices that are bringing about obscene levels of profit, what that is is like a giant red flag being waved in the air saying anybody, entrepreneur, anybody come and anybody who does this thing, this service, you're going to make a lot of goddamn money if you do it yeah. because there's a lot of excess. There's limited competition. The demand's too high. The supply's too low. Uh, and that's a good thing. That's an awesome thing because it incentivizes people to make the supply better so uh, i hate the complaining about it because I, I just see it as a form of you know just ignorance of not understanding what's actually happening yeah i i 100 agree well i tell you what mr novelty <laughs> uh, you are camping and uh, we've been talking for quite a while as usual i feel like i could talk to you forever my man um but I'm going to let you get back to enjoying camping, man. Is there anything you want to promote before I let you go or anything like that? Oh, you know, just uh, positive energy and life and love and liberty and be yourself and tell people to go fuck themselves. I think that's what I feel like promoting right now. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy yourself and anybody who wants to take that away from you, just run, or just run away. Just run away. Do what you fucking want to do. Don't hurt people. Live in peace. Come out to nature sometime. Enjoy it. Sun setting. It's beautiful hill country. It's like pink bubble gum and daiquiri ice uh, skies. Couldn't be more clear. It's not a cloud. Uh, it's amazing. We go start a fire, eat some good food. You know, hang out and chill. So uh, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. What else are you gonna do? It's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, dude, that was fun, man. <laughs> that, that was e it's always easy to talk to. Working at that plant lunch breaks, I'm on the phone getting interviewed. I can be cynical, Lord knows that it's difficult. 
And I'm not even close to my pinnacle But last year I was basically unheard of And this year I'm out in fucking Europe You love something, never leave it alone You make sure you get a piece of your own This is my life These are my goals This is my dream This is my road Don't ever look back That life that I chose And I will never stop Till I get a little piece of my own I will make my position I will state my position Never play my position, kid From the day I was risen From the day I was driven So yeah, it ain't no coincidence I'm trying to make the most of these minutes Till I'm finished living the dream here It's a relief that I can finish the sense With the essence of the struggle being Puzzle of the human being Just being, let alone trust another human being Sit silent If I were to die on my last days today Would I pick me to be on a desert island with you? Or would I wish that I was something more like you? Something more I'd done. Something more to do. A legacy should be the hardest act to follow. After the curtain call, the custodian works when all the show goes. Came and went. Came and went. He sees the mess and came and left. And then he sweeps the west of mob. The shit looks brand new. Another act will take the stage. Another act to take the place. Another act to follow. See, full circle in this life is your inevitable fate. I say it might as well be great. I'm better late than never. These are my goals, this is my dream, this is my road Don't ever look back, that life that I chose And I will never stop, till I get a little piece of my own I will make my position, I will state my position Never play my position, kid From the day I was risen, from the day I was driven So it ain't no coincidence